we attend the Church of Christ. I may be a member of a Church of Christ, a congregation that is of Christ, without being a member of the Church of Christ. Now, if you don't understand that, I hope by the time we come to the conclusion of our lesson today, you will understand that. Not everyone in churches of Christ today are in the church of Christ when we come to an understanding of what that church is. In Isaiah, the 60th chapter, in verse 21, and this is just before the 61st chapter, which Jesus read in his home congregation of Nazareth, not a church of Christ yet, but in a synagogue. And he tells the people, there is this one who has come to set us free, who has come to proclaim liberty to souls. And he said, today is this fulfilled in your hearing. And they said, who is this? Do we not know him? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Joseph? It is in that context, prophesying what God's people would be, what God's people would be, what the church of Christ would be. And it says, they shall all be Righteous, in Isaiah the 60th chapter and verse 21. The church of Christ is not made up of all of the people who attend churches of Christ. You've got your Jezebel, you've got Hymenaeus and Philetus and Alexander, and those people that Paul delivered to Satan. You have a diatrophies in 3 John. All of these have the disapproval of the Lord. They are not saved people and yet they were in churches of the Lord on that occasion. So yes, God's people congregate and they meet as churches of Christ. And Paul could speak of those congregations in Romans 16, 16 when he wrote to the church at Rome and said, the churches of Christ salute you. And there are churches of Christ in this world. And I think maybe some of us do not realize how many. I, I think some of us don't realize how many brethren we have around the world. It is amazing when you look at India and you look at certain places in Africa and you look at the Philippines and other places in this world where the cause of Christ is burgeoning, where people are being baptized regularly, where churches are growing. And what a blessing to know that that is taking place in the world. So yes, there are churches of Christ around the world, but there are people in those churches of Christ who are not the people of God, who are not saved, though they may be in good standing in those congregations. And that's going to become abundantly clear to us. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 25 through 27, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of water with the word. And he goes ahead to talk about that church then being presented to him without spot and without blemish. And that's what the church is. It is made of people who because of their faithfulness and their connection and their relatedness to Jesus Christ are saved from their sins and who walk and live in that salvation and that devotion. But when it says presented to Christ, doesn't that mean in the day of judgment it is going to be presented to Christ without spot and without blemish? No. In Philippians, the second chapter and verse 15, the apostle Paul writing to the church there at Philippi speaks of them as being Blameless children of God in this present and crooked generation without spot and without blemish. So the church is presented to Jesus Christ now. You who are members of the Lord's church 
are presented to him by your faithfulness, being cleansed by the blood of Christ and continuing to be cleansed by the blood of Christ because you walk in the light. That's what his church is. It isn't made of everybody who attends a church of Christ. But it does talk to us about the indispensability of the church and the importance of the church purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ containing the saved who walk in his ways, who have communion with him here, continuing that forgiveness, will stand righteous on the day of judgment, and they will have eternal life at that time. Do you think when we consider these passages that it is possible that there are people in congregations around the world that there are people in congregations of Christ around the world who do not take their faith that seriously, who are not that devoted to the Lord, who attend services and they enjoy being there. They may enjoy the singing. They may just do it out of obligation. I'm a Christian. I've got to do this. So I get up on Sunday morning and I go to Sunday morning services and that takes care of it. I can go about then my regular life and I've got some spiritual quality in my life. I have some religiosity about me that makes make me approved of God. Nothing could be further from the truth than that concept that does not stand up to, that does not measure up to what the church is when we turn to the Bible, when we turn to God's word and see what is there. There's an illustration of this truth in a parable of Jesus in Matthew the 13th chapter. There was a man who went forth and he sowed good grain, good seed in his field and the wheat came up. And in the night an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And so his servants came to the man with the field who had sowed the good seed and said, there are tares among the wheat, what shall we do about them? And he said, leave them alone, it's difficult to distinguish. The angels will take them out of the kingdom in the day of judgment. So here you have a representation of the church of the kingdom of God. And it consists of good seed. But among that good seed, there are tares. And are these tares faithful? Are they saved people? No, you can check your passage in Matthew the 13th chapter and verse 38. These are not people who are going to be saved. These are people who are among the people of God. And the passage says, these are the sons of the evil one. So found among the church, the assembly, the congregation of Christ, there are going to be those who are evil. That may mean that in this congregation, there are people who are not sons of God. There are people who are not really devoted to God. You pray that's not so. And of course, people say, well, aren't we to withdraw from such? Well, yes, when it's manifest and it's as clear as it was in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, but we don't know what's in the heart of every person. And rather than destroy then good seed, we must wait and the Lord will take care of that in the day of judgment. But this passage teaches us there are people today associated with the church of Christ who are tares. And in the day of judgment, they are going to be taken out by the angels of God. And this begins to emphasize more the indispensability of the church and the importance of the church and the importance of really being a member, a participant, a communicant in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The church in God's scheme is the complement 
of Christ. We go back to the beginning in Genesis, the second chapter, verse 18, and find Adam, and he is alone. And all of the animals of the earth are brought before him. Not actually every little ant and every bee. It's the beasts of the field that are brought before him. And he names them, and he can see that each one of them has a mate, and there he is without a mate. And thus God says to him, I will make you a help meet, not a help mate, a help meet for you, which means suitable to, corresponding to. Here is Adam, but there is an incompleteness there. And he has a help meet suitable to corresponding to him. If it's just Adam, forget about it. You're not here. Nobody else ever made it. It took the other half of that equation to finish what God wanted. And Eve was a help meet suitable corresponding to him. And that's what the church is to Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the church, which is his body. A head without a body is lacking something. A body without a head is lacking something. And there is Jesus Christ and he is the head and his people, the saved people of the earth, who are in communion with him because of their service and because of their devotion, because of the way they live, because of their consecration, because of their sanctification, then are joined to Jesus Christ. And that's how the church is the fullness of Jesus Christ. So... Let not any of us find it peculiar, even anything to admire when a person says, I'm spiritual, but I am not religious. Something is terribly lacking in the life of that person. Here are three conclusions we're going to spend the rest of our time on then this morning about the church being the fullness of Jesus Christ. And the first is that as Jesus Christ is the complete fruition of God's plan. And there was a plan. God had a plan from the beginning and it was announced to the woman after she had sinned and there was to be a seed of woman, not a seed. You look at all the genealogies and it is a man who had a son who had a son who had a son who had a son. But in the very beginning, there was going to be a seed of woman, the first anticipation of a virgin birth, and he would crush this tempter, this Satan who had brought sin into this world. And that was his plan. And God worked his plan out, announced it, and developed it all the way through the Old Testament. But if the church is the fullness of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of that plan, then the church, as we read about it in the New Testament, is the fulfillment of all of that plan that we read about in the Old Testament. The next point is the church is the full and exclusive recipient of all of the distinctive blessings in Jesus Christ. There are blessings in this earth that are for all men, the rain and the sun upon the righteous and the unrighteous, the evil and the good. But there are some distinctive blessings called spiritual blessings in Ephesians, the first chapter. And these belong only to the saints of God, only to those who constitute the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll find then that the church is the full executor of his mission. Jesus had a mission to seek and to save the lost. And he has that as his body which continues that work to accomplish that. And that's the church. And those three points then we want to look at and we start with that first one then that the church is the object of God's plan and in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verse 17, we find Christ saying of himself, I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill. In other words, he didn't say, I came to repudiate it. 
I came to validate the law and the prophets and what they said to prove that they were true and to fulfill them. Fulfilling them, of course, he said, then it would pass away. Every John Tittle would eventually pass away when all of the Old Testament was fulfilled. And the church then, being the fullness of Jesus Christ, is then the fulfillment. All of these passages in the Old Testament about a holy city, a Jerusalem that came down out of heaven, a great nation, a people, and this people identified in Isaiah, the second chapter, they would make war no more. They would make their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. That's not talking about over all of the earth. That's talking about their relationship in this holy city, the church of Jesus Christ. You know, the world tries to bring people together, and it has had limited success in that. But there is one place where people from every nation, of every kind of background, of every ethnicity, are brought together and they dwell together in peace and they do not war with one another. Huh. Somebody says, well, I see sometimes warfare in some congregation. That's true, but remember, not everybody in the congregations are the people of God. The people of God are those people who being united by the word of God stand united and they have peace with one another. They may not have peace with error and Paul had some people he did not have peace with but they were not the people of God. There were some people in congregations in the New Testament that Paul did not have peace with but they were not the people of God. It's all of those people united by the word of God that stood together in their faith and they fought the world and they fought sin together that constituted the church of Jesus Christ and in their midst, they learned war no more. They beat their swords into plowshares. That was a prophecy in the Old Testament. And it was of this that was coming into being this new heavenly Jerusalem. All of these things about a holy nation in the Old Testament. If the church is the fulfillment of Christ and he fulfilled all of those Old Testament passages, then the church is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament passages that talk about this new nation, this new people, this holy city the New Jerusalem, the church. So we can understand then when the passage talks about the glorious church. And it's not because we are inherently glorious, because we have all sinned. It is glorious because God has taken the people who have been guilty of sin and he has saved them. Looking at Ephesians, the fifth chapter in verses 9 and 10, to emphasize that which we have been speaking about, and how the church fulfills all of that that has gone before in Jesus Christ. Here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 begin. Making known unto you the mystery of his will. According to the good pleasure which he purposed in him. Unto a dispensation of the fullness of times to sum up. To sum up all things in Jesus Christ. The things in the heavens. The things upon the earth in him. All things have been summed up in Jesus Christ. And the church is the fullness of Christ, which means all of these things that talk about this holy people, this righteous people, this new thing, this new entity that was going to come into being. That's the church. And all of things of the Old Testament that prophesied and told that are fulfilled then in his church. The church of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of those. It's, it's not an afterthought. Do any of you know the expression dispensational premillennialism? Well, I don't know. You may not know that expression. But a part of premillennialism is the concept that Jesus came to establish the kingdom. But when he got the opposition, he did 
and the rejection he did among the Jews, the people that he came to. Rather than establish the kingdom, he chose the way of the cross and he died so they could arise again and ascend back into heaven and substitute the church for the kingdom. And he's going to come back one day and establish the kingdom, which says the kingdom is not in existence. But Jesus Christ fulfilled all that he was supposed to. And the church is the fullness of him. So the church fulfills all that was told of a kingdom. And then dispensational premillennialism that doesn't believe the kingdom is in existence. It is simply a substitute. Know how far away from God's word and revelation that thought is. The church is precisely what God had foretold in the Old Testament when he talked about a coming kingdom. Those who are constituents of Christ's church are citizens of his kingdom. They are what was foretold in the Old Testament and all of these blessings that are in God's plan, the New Testament speaks of. We had our reading a moment ago. Turn with me. Let's look at that reading again. This is Ephesians, the third chapter, and beginning in verse 8. And Paul says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, was this grace given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the dispensation of the mystery which for ages hath been hid in God who created all things, to the intent that now under the principalities and the powers and the heavenly places might be made known unto men the manifold wisdom of God. The church manifests the wisdom of God. Now think about it. If the church was a substitute for the kingdom, God in his wisdom sends Christ here to establish the kingdom and he couldn't get it done and he's had to delay it. How does that show wisdom? The church shows the wisdom of God because Christ came to establish something and he, he established exactly what he intended to establish his church, his kingdom upon this earth. And the church is the fullness of him then that filleth all in all. So in our first point then we see and understand that what the Old Testament said, Christ fulfilled all of that. And if that is necessary and that is so, then in the church, all that was intended in a people that was to come into being is fulfilled in the church of Jesus Christ. It was not an afterthought. It was not a mistake. The righteous rule that Jesus was to have on this earth is in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, he is the ruler of all mankind. And because of that, he is going to judge all mankind one day. But this righteous rule of a righteous people is fulfilled in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the indispensable church, the importance of the church as we see it and as we study it. There's no age beyond this one. It is a dispensation of the fullness of times wherein all things are summed up as we read a moment ago in Ephesians, the first chapter in verse 10. When this age is over, Spoke of in the scriptures as the last days. There are no days ahead of us. When Jesus Christ comes again, that will be the last day. If Jesus Christ came today, June the whatever this is, will have been the last days of the existence of the universe. There's nothing beyond here. We need to live and we need to be ready. We need to keep our devotion and our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. But let us go then to the next point. It is the recipient of all the distinctive blessings in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, the first chapter, in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
I used to say there are no kinds of blessings that are of a spiritual nature outside of Jesus Christ. And then I got to looking at I saw some atheists who, for the moment, are kind of happy and they get along pretty well as long as they've got the money so they can pay for their sins and get past that. But the word all is from the Greek word pos and it means all of a category. And the category is given here. We go ahead in verse 4 and we have the spiritual blessing of being chosen in Christ. And we're chosen in Christ that we might be without spot and without blemish. If I came to God apart from Jesus Christ... I would still be in my sin and I could not be acceptable. God chose me in Jesus Christ because he paid the price for my sin. He took the punishment for my sin and I benefit by that by being connected to him, by being a part of him and thus my sins are forgiven. And so I am chosen and God determined this from the foundation of the world. He said, my chosen are going to be those in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are one of his chosen. You are outside of Christ you're not one of the chosen. That's one of the spiritual blessings. And then it says we have also our adoption as sons. In Christ Jesus, we are adopted. We have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But in Jesus Christ, we become sons of God again because we are adopted then again as sons. In him, we have our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, if Jesus Christ is the Savior of the church, then what is the church? In Ephesians 5, 23, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the church. If he is the Savior of the church, the church is the saved. Brethren, that's what the church is. That's all the church is. It is the saved people of earth. Those saved people meet in congregations as we do. But as we have seen, there are people among the congregations who are not really saved people. And so when we understand the church, it is not some organization. The church of Christ is just merely this. Over the entirety of the earth where you have a saved person, you have a person who is a member of the church of Jesus Christ. Now they have responsibilities to assemble, to work together as a community, and that's one of the meanings of the word ecclesia. Let me suggest this. One of the main mistakes no, no, well, maybe I hate to start talking to you, but a mistake that is often made is to say the word church means called out. In its derivation, 600 years before New Testament times, yes, that's what it meant. But if you start looking at all the authorities of the Greek language, they say in New Testament times, the word church means assembly. It means congregation. It means community. And so the saved people of the earth in their, in their localities commune together. They come together as a community to work and to serve together. They don't leave the service up to I didn't know whether to do this or not. But I'm conscience smitten here. If I'm going to talk about the importance of the church and I want you to understand. So, so I say pardon me for doing this but no you don't need to pardon me. I hope you will agree with me. 103 people on Sunday morning. 19 on Sunday evening, 10 on Wednesday evening. How important is the church? How indispensable is the church? What is my concept of the church? So I wrestled 
Ever since I saw those figures when I came. Do I mention this or do I not? And psychologically it might be the wrong thing to do. But I said if I'm going to preach on the importance of the church. I've got to mention that. And it's not I think that I'm talking to bad people. It's maybe I'm talking to people who really we haven't gotten into this subject enough and thought about it enough to understand the responsibilities that gives me. share. A community is a group of sharers. That doesn't look like sharing, brethren. And if I'm not a part of the sharers, am I really a part of the church of Christ? I suppose really I could stop my lesson there and probably given the time that it is, I need to. But I want to talk about one more thing. And that is that the church is the full executor of, of Christ's mission. There's a little, hand me the, that uh, piece of that uh, over, please. I hope what I want is in here. If not, I'm going to have to tell you about it. But here it is. Christ had a mission. And the church is the fullness of him. And we share in that mission. And I hope you'll pardon this. This is a little whimsy. Don't take it exact. It's kind of a parable. There's an illustration which is old and hackneyed, but which perfectly sums up this great truth. There is a legend which tells how Jesus went back to heaven after his time on earth. Even in heaven he bore upon him the marks of the sufferings of the cross. The angels were talking to him, and Gabriel said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. I did, said Jesus. And, said Gabriel, do they know about how you love them and what you have done for them? No, said Jesus, not yet. Just now, only a few people in Palestine know. What have you done, said Gabriel, to let everyone know about this, Jesus said. I have asked Peter and James and John and a few others to make it the business of their lives to tell others about me. And the others, still others, and yet others, until the farthest man on the widest circle knows what I have done. Gabriel looked very doubtful, for Gabriel knew well what poor stuff men were made of. Yes, he said, but what about Peter and James and John? What if they grow tired? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. Haven't you made any other plans? He said, I haven't. I'm counting on them. The church is the executor of the mission of Christ. We exist here to carry on what Jesus Christ did. We sang in our song this morning. When I survey the wondrous cross, then it says, my life, my soul, my all. When I survey the wondrous cross, I must give my life, my soul, my all. That's expressed in my faithfulness to Christ in his church. Being a part of the community that does that for which Jesus Christ came 
into this world, we must expect more of ourselves. We must do more. We look at this world, and one of our prayers today, we looked at the condition of the world and what is sin. We're not going to help it if we're half-hearted in our service. If we don't become fully involved and make Jesus Christ first in our life to look at his mission and realize the responsibilities that he has given to us. Well, it's easy when you go to a new place to add some things to your lesson, and, and I have done that. But I'm going to be satisfied with what we have done and then this evening, by the way, I did owe you an apology because I announced in the bulletin that I was going to preach this morning on nothing but leaves. But I'm going to do that tonight. I decided that I need to preach this lesson this morning. But of course, you know that preachers and women have the right to change their minds. That's a rule. I just now made it. But we will preach tonight nothing but leave. It's an important lesson. It has to do with the nature of our service to Jesus Christ. Where do you stand in relationship to God? You can answer that in your own heart. And let us all do that and examine and look at our faith and look at the expression of our faith. Let us resolve wherever we are, whether we're terribly faithful or we need to be more faithful, to do even more in the future than we have in the past. But are you here and you never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then you're apart from God's grace, you're apart from his love, you've rejected it, and you're without salvation. But you can come this day, and as they did on the day of Pentecost, repenting of your sins and be baptized for the remission of your sins. The remission of your sins. And be baptized thus for that. And then continue walking in the light. And as you walk in the light, the blood of Christ continues to cleanse you from your sins. As you walk in the light. You're not going to be perfect, but you can walk in the light and sanctification. That's another lesson. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, you would give your life to Jesus Christ and accept his salvation and the love of God and the hope of eternal life. Won't you come well together we stay and sing?